Wednesday. For those of you who are new to the podcast, my name is Jessica Devine and I am one of the hosts of Cake for Breakfast. Cake for Breakfast is a daily news show covering the top stories in Hollywood, Wall Street, and Silicon Valley with a special guest episode drop on Wednesdays. We are like The View, but for millennials. You can find our show on Apple or Spotify by searching Cake for Breakfast in the search icon. Now I know you hear this a lot from every podcaster slash podcast you listen to already, but if you have a moment to hit subscribe and write a quick review, I would so appreciate it and you'd be giving back to my business. All right, our guest today is Olivia Perez of the hit podcast Friend of a Friend. Let me just say, I loved her. She is absolutely stunning with incredible style and just an overall super cool girl vibe about her. I think my favorite takeaway from Olivia today was her inner hustle. You can just tell this girl is always on the move. Her mind is on alert, in creator mode. She kind of reminds me a bit of Whitney Wolf, who we were talking about on the show yesterday. Very few people successfully start their own business in college nonetheless, and it's just so impressive to see people at that age who are truly visionaries. I've been following Olivia's business, Friend of a Friend, since I basically moved to the city. It began as sort of like this cool girl spot where you could go for information on like the best hotel, the best restaurant, the best place to shop, the best place to have coffee in the city. It was like a really great go-to guide and really ahead of its time in that sense. And she's since pivoted the business to a podcast and she brings on really cool guests entrepreneurs from up and coming industries and brings them on for great conversations. I look at her podcast a little bit like a more cool version, I want to say, of how we built this. Um, I love that podcast too, but Olivia just has a way of speaking to her guests that's maybe a little more relatable. One of the coolest takeaways from the interview today was how Olivia got vulnerable with us on the difficulties of building a business, success and failure, etc. Because I mean, you see this girl in person, you follow her on Insta and you think, oh, she's perfect. But no, every entrepreneur has to fight. And I really feel that she has worked incredibly hard to get where she is today. Anyway, I don't want to give too much away. I'm just really excited to have you listen to this episode and let me know what you think. But before we get into it, I want to add that today's episode is sponsored by MillenniLink. MillenniLink is a tech and IT recruiter where talent and digital transformation intersect. So why are recruiting needs more important than ever right now? Well, if you're going to move your entire trading floor to the cloud, who's going to make sure that it's up and running all the time and secure? You're going to need someone to do this and to do it quick. If you called Microsoft for a new piece of software because everybody now is work from home, Who's going to run it? Who's going to implement it? Who's going to teach your employees how to use it? MillenniLink. If you're a hospital and you're out of beds, do you have telemedicine services built in and ready to go? No, the world is changing around us so quickly and we need these people more than ever. So right now through Christmas, MillenniLink is offering 25% off any fees for hiring tech resources for your business. You can find the link to their website in our show's bio and enter CAKE, C-A-K-E, to speak to somebody about your hiring needs and get 25% off. Now, how do you find these guys? Go to MillenniLink, www.millenniLink.com slash contact dash us. Again, that is www.millenniLink.com slash contact slash us. And shoot them a note. Maybe 
you could use their help. Maybe you just want to hear about what they can offer you, but I am telling you, these guys are getting busy. Get in front of these projects and objectives your business needs now. Now, folks, let me introduce you to Miss Olivia Perez. All right, Olivia, thank you so much for coming on our show today. I am so glad to have you here. I'm so, you're just, you look so beautiful. You're like absolutely glowing right now. You definitely have that LA sun look to you. Now, you are born and raised LA. Can you walk us through your upbringing, your family dynamic, what you were interested in as a kid? Where in LA did you grow up? Um, Give me some background there. Yeah, so I grew up in Los Angeles. I moved to New York when I was 18. Um, I come from a family of five girls. We're definitely a Brady Bunch family. My parents um, have been married a few times. And so, you know, I had a very, I really had like a typical blended um, Brady Bunch family growing up. And I'm so grateful for it because my parents, I I give them so much credit. They did such a good job of making sure that all of us were together all the time. So we were always together for dinners. And even though everybody kind of had a little bit of somebody else in them and, you know, everybody kind of had to go maybe spend more time with another parent. They did such a good job of just keeping us all together and really um, kind of redefining the idea of family for all of us. So um, were you more like uh, were you more like at mom's house or dad's house? Was it like the perfect split? Like, what did your life look like? So my parents actually didn't split up until I was 20. So my whole upbringing, me and my younger sister were in the house of our parents. Um, It was my three older sisters who came from two different moms and one different dad. Um, And so it was them that were kind of always going, um, you know, back and forth. But um, it was it was amazing. It was it was so much fun. And, uh, you know, I always make the joke that like when you have a little bit of somebody else in you, the Thanksgiving dinner table is always really fun. And fun. And probably bringing guys home is like hilarious at Thanksgiving. I'm sure they just get like chewed up by all the women. <laughs> so I was um, the age range is, is pretty wide within my family. My older sisters are um, 31 and 32. And then I have a 19 year old sister and I'm 26. So um, when I was growing up, my 31 and 32 year old sister used to like enact out that scene in Bad Boys where they would like show up with the bat to the front door. <laughs> um, so I actually like never like I never even crossed into that territory because I was just so terrified. Were you girls like Malibu girls? Were you West Hollywood girls? Were you Beverly Hills girls? What was sort of your niche in the city? Yeah, I'm I'm uh, very grateful for like a pretty wide range of places I lived in L.A., um, I lived between Malibu and West Hollywood as a kid. Um, and then I went to school in the Valley in Sherman Oaks. So I, I, I attribute a lot of that to like my, my love for New York city and like kind of the fact that I'm exposed to a lot of different things all the time, because I wasn't really in like one cluster of LA. I was all over the place. Girlfriend, you were, you spent your youth in a car by the sounds of it, driving all the time. <laughs> it was weird times when I was living in Malibu and I went to school 45 minutes away, did a lot of homework, a lot of sleeping in the back of the car. Um, but I think my childhood was really defined. I was a competitive dancer growing up. Um, competitive is like kind of a weird word, um, but like it's a competitive sport. Um, but so I was, you know, I didn't really totally. have that like normal childhood of like going to the mall on the weekends or like doing any of those things. I was uh, really- You're studying. Yeah, I was really dedicated to ballet. I was in, you know, when I, when I finished school at three o'clock and I would go dance until around eight, nine o'clock at night. And on the weekends, I was in rehearsal from like eight to 5 p.m. So um, that really defined my childhood. It gave me so much motivation and so much drive um, and really made me an independent person. So I think when and whenever I talk about my childhood, that's kind of the number one thing that I bring up because it has such a big impact on who I am today. 
So you weren't like a Malibu girl, like down at the waves every day. You were in a car going to ballet, studying. Like you were an activity kind of kid. You were always an activity. And then I still am. I'm always like, what are we doing today? <laughs> that is that is an issue, right? When you grow up with sports or activity on your schedule, it's like people are like, oh, at five o'clock I chill. It's like, no, I practice. Like something's going on. Yeah, I think it gave me this like really weird. Um, it's not weird. It's a great thing. Like I kind of always I like to do something. I'm always I was never really a person that like got into TV, like every once in a while, I'll binge a show and it's like the best feeling ever because I won't leave the couch mm-hmm. for like 10 hours. But um, yeah, I like to be active. I like to keep my brain active. Um, so I think I think all of that is definitely a big part of who I am now. Okay, so you were studious ballerina, or ballerina, ballet, tap, jazz, like the whole, you were just like one of those girls who was like, I'm in dance kind of thing. That's how I think about you. One of my good friends is like that too. Um, so you were doing that and then you're coming to 18, you're probably a competitive kid. Were you trying to get into college? Were you like, I'm, I know you went to NYU Were you like, I'm going to the East coast or what was sort of the transition there? Yeah, I did a lot of traveling in high school. Um, I worked with a program that basically let me travel all around the world. So I went to Tanzania, Tanzania, excuse me, um, India, Thailand, Vietnam, um, and all for the purpose of like service projects. So I was going into these communities, whether it was like rebuilding schools, teaching English, working in orphanages. Um, that was like a really big part of my um, young adolescence. I was really passionate about that. I was passionate about travel. And that was kind of the beginning, actually, of my shift from dance to a little bit more of like a journalism side. Um, that mm-hmm. brought that out a lot in me. Um, beca- but because I think I was so... Sorry, was this through school, you're saying? What was this program? program that was around when I was in high school. I don't think it's around anymore. And it basically gives you the opportunity to go explore different places. Yeah. So they had they had base camps all around the world. Um, and you could choose if you wanted like an adventure trip or if you wanted a service trip. And I always did a little bit of both. So I got to see really cool places and also get back to the communities there while I was there. Um, and I think because I had done that, I had this very strong itch to be away from home and experience something different. So New York was the number one place I always thought about. Um, I had lived there for a little bit, like for a month when I was younger, because I was dancing. I went and danced at the Joffrey Ballet in New York. Oh, you were like a big time dancer. You were like, you were like away for it. No, I went to, I mean, I was, I was fine. I was never going to go professional, but I loved, like I I did summer intensives. I was with the ABT in Detroit for a little bit. I did Joffrey in New York. Um, but I had already like kind of experienced New York a little bit and I really loved it. And I knew that there was so much opportunity for me there and I kind of went full steam ahead and and really like took it for all that it had to give. So you were like, NYU is on my vision board and that's it. That's all I need. That's all she wrote. Yeah, I applied early um, and I am really grateful to have gotten in early and that was it. Like from November to, or no, I think I think that like you get in early, like in early December. From December that- to the following year in August, I was like, that truly is the New York dream, though. Like people like myself who want to come here, like your eyes are set on it and you are not turning back. Or your what do your what industry are your parents in? Are they in like film and television in L.A.? Like are they really like Hollywood people? No. So my parents, uh, my dad was in fashion and manufacturing and my mom was a photographer. So my parents were artists um, in their own way. Um, like my dad was like a businessman slash artist, whatever you want to right. call melting of that. Um, but they were always really supportive of me going and, you know, I had older sisters who really paved the way for me. So, um, they were really supportive of it. And I, I, you know, I think when you dance, you're such an independent person and there's so much conviction that comes in that. I think, you know, like being on stage and kind of demanding attention and being able to, you know, tell stories and hold the pressure of that. I think all that 
I, I've never talked to my parents about this before, but I think I really think it does give you a lot of conviction in yourself, but also like people also have a lot of faith in you. Um, so they never really questioned my my desire to go across the country and live there. They just have ex. I always find I've met friends in LA of like uh, kids of artists, and the expectations are very high. It's like you're not like your parents are both lawyers who so like just get into law school. They're like, okay, you got to be great, and it's like, okay, I'll run with that, Dad. Thanks. <laughs> I think that's all about proximity. Like it's all about where you live, and I think what you're exposed to. Um, LA is a really eclectic, amazing city with a lot of talented people, and when that's in front of you. Um, it kind of lights a fire under your ass to follow in those in that path and, and do as best as you can. Perfect. So you moved to NYC, you attend NYU, and do I have it right? You got into you you went there to study fashion, but then you pivoted it into like the journalism route. Was that sort of the transition? Yeah, you are correct on that. I I worked really hard in school. I went to a, a very small school within NYU called Gallatin. It's individualized study. You essentially create your own major and. It was interesting. It was a lot of pressure. Um, but yeah, I did partially fashion, partially journalism. I was really interested in storytelling. Um, and I thought while being in New York, like storytelling through the lens of fashion was really interesting to me. What do you mean you create your own um, major? So you go into it and you're like, I want to be a filmmaker. I want to be a doctor. Like, is that how it works? Well, no. So like, obviously, if you want to be a doctor, you have to go in and like take the appropriate classes. Um, right. But I think what Gallatin is is really good at, and you see a lot of creative entrepreneurs come out of Gallatin, you essentially have a core curriculum that you have to complete, but the rest of it is up to you. So I got to pick courses all across the board at NYU and any school and create my own major that I would eventually in four years, at the end of my time, present my colloquium, which was like a thesis to three teachers that I worked closely with at NYU. What was it on? What did you put yours on? Yeah. So when I was there, it was like the beginnings and like the real, like, I think there was a lot of steam behind personality brands. So I studied digital media. I studied journalism. I studied fashion to talk about storytelling through the lens of the way we outfit ourselves online and how people can kind of pretend to be someone they're not um, or actually tell their real authentic story. And that was really interesting to me at the time because we had so many personality brands coming out. And I was like, wow, these people are literally building digital archetypes through themselves, through their journalism and storytelling and through you know what they're wearing. Can you roll it back for me when you say digital personalities? Are you talking like the early day influencer? Yes. Interesting. <laughs> I think of this as like a thesis. You wrote your thesis on being an influencer. Yeah, I guess you could say that. I need to read. I need to read that at some point. But I guess you could say that. Yeah, I talked about like how uh, you were ahead of your time. Yeah. How social media, we can shift mindsets and change people's perceptions on each other and um, really create communities and influence people. Um, I don't love the word influencer, but I guess, yeah, we we my my thesis was on that no one likes the word influencer and i guess i don't quite understand i have like a finance background and i always like admire influencers but i feel like there's just this thing to it that people like you with large followings are like i have a business i'm smart i have a brand you know you obviously are incredibly bright girl you went to a very hard school to get into so it's just something i gotta pivot away from that word because people do not love it You don't have to pivot. I'll tell you that. I think society, we work on labels and we work on putting on putting boxes around people. And I think it's I think that's why I I stray away from it sometimes, because I think I do a lot more than just the title influencer. It doesn't really like like I don't think I wake up every day and influence people. Like, I think that's Mm -hmm. a really weird thing. Like, I have my own titles for myself and what I like to call myself and what I'm passionate about. Um, but I think it's just too broad of a term. I agree. And 
you know what I connected to you a lot on? I was listening to your podcast on the, I was, I was listening to your interview on the Hurdle podcast and you said, um, I like the, uh, I like the podcast platform because it's a way for me to connect with my listeners and, and be connected without having to be like, Hey, I'm out of bed. Here's my breakfast. Here's this. And it's like a way to communicate, not doing it that way. Cause that way is not always comfortable to everybody. I was like, I love that. That is totally the podcast game. If you think about it, there's just such a large spectrum of, um, people that have fall that have been placed in the category of influencers, whether it's somebody who is showing their day to day, um, and, you know, bringing a smile to people's faces and, and, influencing them to make lifestyle changes or whatever it is to someone like me who's not really like that Mm -hmm. post my life but in a different way and um I have a show and I do a lot of my talking through that but I think it's just too big of a word to for how many people have been grouped into it well why I am excited to talk to you and have you on this show is because of what you built so you went to school and this is what I want to get straight you went to school you had some internships you worked around a little bit but then you started your own company, like bada boom, bada bang, right out of school sort of thing. You didn't spend a lot of time, like you didn't have five years working for somebody else. You just went right into friend of a friend, correct? I actually started friend of a friend while I was in In school. I was a junior at NYU. Okay. Can we now talk a bit about that? Can you give some background on what friend of a friend is and the evolution of it and where it is today? Yeah. So friend of a friend has had so many evolutions. It's really fun to talk about. Um, I started this website called Friend of a Friend when I was a junior in college, I essentially was feeling really exhausted by being a new person in New York City. And every time I would open up a website or um, any type of like lifestyle website, I was being told the same things over and over again, whether it was hotels to luxury restaurants, um, to beauty brands, fashion brands, And when you live in New York, you really, I think the best thing about living in New York is that you're privy to a lot of things that the rest of the world doesn't see. Um, And that's a really cool thing. You see brands launching because like a lot of brands start in New York and you get to kind of see that evolution. Um, You see new hotels pop up and new mom and pop restaurants on the corner that people would never know about. So all of that was really exciting to me. And all those things like New York, it has such an influence on the world. So, you know, I always think of New York as like that really funny scene in the Devil Wars Prada where it's like the color blue and cerulean and it trickles down into, you know, a t-shirt that you're picking up from the Gap. Oh my God, I love, can I steal that from you? Okay, that is the best comparison I've ever heard in New York. It's true. That scene in the Devil Wars Prada, it's um, uh, Meryl Streep and she's outfitting a girl in two, in a colored belt and uh, Anne Hathaway is kind of like, they're the same thing. Like, why are you picking between two different color belts? Or they're both just blue belts. And Meryl Streep goes on this whole tangent about how it's not blue, it's cerulean, it's a very specific design. And in a couple months, that's going to trickle down through the fashion world into the larger world. And you're going to be picking up that exact same color shirt at the Gap. Um, I'm pretty sure. Tell me if I got uh, Yeah. And you look at it through the, I just, I think that's so brilliant. I've got to really remember that one, but you look at it through the lens of like Anne Hathaway's like a Jersey chick and she's like, okay, whatever, like you stuffy people. And yeah, Meryl Streep's supposed to look or come up across as stuffy. And it's like, give her some respect. Like, you know, she's a person at a really high position and she's the cusp of a market. Like there's no need to just like put her down and make fun of her. And and Anne Hathaway got got schooled really hard in that scene. <laughs> that scene I loved so much. It kind of stuck with me because in my experience of living in New York for nine years, um, I really realized that so much of what trickles out to the world really does come from New York as an epicenter. Um, so I was really excited about that. I didn't think there was a place that was writing about all these exciting things. 
And I decided to start, decided to start a website um, where it was called Friend of a Friend. And essentially all the best news and all the coolest things are just a friend of a friend away. What I really loved about it is I moved to the city in 2013. I worked in finance. So taking clients, hedge fund guys out, you need the cool spot. I discovered your website in that time and you had like Gigi Hadid writing on it. You had Sophia Rich. You had like the cool girls writing to it. You highlighting the cool spots. And it was just like a great place. That's a trusted source. You could go and like find this stuff. Thank you. I appreciate that. Wow. You're an OG fan. I love that. Um, but so, yeah, it was really just things, people, places I was interested in. Um, you know, we had like Gigi on there. We had Sophia Richie on there. We had like Simi Hayes. And these were all people that were just starting to build their careers, but were also doing something equally as cool as like what I thought the next entrepreneur was doing with a beauty brand. Um, So I, instead of just me, it was never written in the first person. It really was a a true like journalistic website. I had uh, other students from NYU contribute places and things that they were interested in as well. And it was really just this big hub of information and um, things that I found interesting. But it grew really fast. So how did you do that? Were you kind of like, were you doing, were you going out at all? Or were you like booking guests to write, to edit? Like what was sort of like your school life looking like in that time? Yeah. So I was pretty slammed in school. I, before my first two years of school, I was in internships the whole time. Um, and that for me was really important. I got so much experience and that really prepared me to launch the website. My first semester having the website was really tough, but then I actually went into summer school. And I think I did one semester where I took one more class than I needed to, just so that my last year of school, I would technically be part-time so that I had more time to go to press appointments, be eating out at restaurants at night, be going to events. Um, And that was really like my most fun year of college because it was when I think I really felt my feet on the ground in New York because I, you know, I I was getting around a little bit more. I was meeting new people. I was really experiencing it for all it had to offer. What kept you in school at that point? Were you like, hey, I'm making good money. I love what I'm doing. School's kind of holding me back. Or did you just, was it always important to you to finish? Yeah, I'm like a big believer in like you start something, you finish it. Um, And so that was really where my my mind was at. And you must have had like a like grown up people working for you at that point, right? Like you must have had to you had a small business almost. Pretty much students the whole time. Oh, that's cool. I, I loved that. And I also think my, my I know my last year of school, I also, I also took on a freelance job. So um, again, I think we're, we're talking about the same thing we were talking about earlier with dance, where like my brain always needs to be working. When you're in college, like you can go to class two days a week and just have class in the morning and that fulfills your time in full honesty. Like that's really what it is. And a lot of people just kind of have fun and do whatever. And some people get jobs and both are equally as incredible experiences and important for, for people to, to go through. Um, but for me, I really just wanted to work. So I think my last, my like first semester of my senior year, I had a job. I had, I was in like maybe a two to three course schedule and I was running a website. But I love, I love working that way. That's just the way that my brain works. Um, I'm just going to say you're a unique, highly efficient ballerina. I think the most of us need like all five days for school, plus summer school, plus weekends. Like you just you got a lot done, girls. So give yourself credit when credit's due. (laughs) Um, Friend of a friend. Let's talk a bit more about it. So you do the website and it evolves into a podcast. So at what point did that transition happen as a businesswoman? At what point were you like, okay, I want to make that that switch? Like what was going on in your life to do that? I think it's really important to talk about this phase of life, because I do think a lot of people talk about like oh, getting internships in college and switching jobs. But not a lot of people talk about what it's like to leave college and enter the job world. So I think a lot of people think I, like a lot of people assume that I just kept doing friend of a friend when I left school, but I actually went and got a full-time job, which I can't recommend enough for everybody unless you're an entrepreneur making a gajillion dollars, which Mm -hmm. I salute you. 
Um, but I think anybody, even if you've started something in school, needs to have a full-time job, even if it's just for six, six to eight months, to understand like process and like understand what it is that you don't like even more. Meet people, work with people, understand what it means to run a team, to manage, and all those things are really important. Um, so I had a job right out of school for about a year and a half. Um, and in that time, I think, I think your early 20s are the most transformative time in your life. I'm sure you can agree. Yeah. I went right into a trading floor and did only finance and then had my like, aha moment. I want to do something else later on. So I'm envious of women like you who just sort of like grab it by the balls right out of school. And you're like, this is what I want. This is my calling. Like it's, it's amazing to be on that path so early on. Um, can we talk a bit about the business of it all though. So you're doing, so you're in school and then you have the internships, you take a full-time job. So it sounds like you sort of were on it and then you pulled away and then you went full, full throttle into the business. When I left school, I was working for another, I was working for a company and I still had a friend of a friend and I was still working on it. But I, I knew instinctually that like the website wasn't what I wanted the end all be all to be. Um, and I think that's something that's like not often talked about is like evolution and growing is so important and so cool and like is totally fine to do. Like the thing that you birth and bring into the world is not going to be anything like it is in its final form. So I took like almost two years to kind of work and get other experiences and really hone in on what it was like that I wanted my skill to be all while still maintaining the platform. So I had it and I could use it at any time. But I really took those two years to kind of figure out what it was that I wanted to do. Um, and that would be eventually the podcast. There must have been a lot of moments in that with like, okay, do I drop it? Do I keep it going? What did you, you sort of went through that whole dynamic, right? So many times. I can't even count how many times I made friend of a friend a newsletter. I relaunched her Instagram like six different times. And like, you know, in the moment, it's such a moment of insecurity of like, oh my God, I'm not doing it right. Or I can't figure it out. But like, you have to try in order to figure out what it is that really works for you. Um, and it was all of that that work and manifesting and, and going through kind of like the really uncomfortable things of figuring out what I wanted my career to be to get me to a point where I actually feel so happy and so excited about the work that I do. I love that because I myself go through that where I just get so terrified, like if something doesn't work and I just feel like the worst thing ever. So how you're actually being honest and saying I had some moments that were embarrassing or tough, like can you go into that? I'm curious, like how you dealt with it and maybe some examples. I think it was really overwhelming. And it was, you know, I, when I started Friend of a Friend, I didn't expect a public platform to come with it, really. I was doing it for fun. I was so excited about it. I loved writing with my fellow students. And that was, you know, I also was like the creative director of the NYU fashion magazines. So there was just like always so much crossover and creativity. And I was really excited to be doing it. I didn't realize that there would be even even of a small public platform, I didn't realize that it would be there. So I think that's something that I felt a lot of pressure with as I started to grow and evolve um, the website. I was like, you know, like, are people expecting it to be like this? Or um, are people do people want this? Like, I didn't really know. And I think I learned a really important lesson in those couple of years that I talk about all the time. And it's like the biggest piece of advice I give people that it's like all about your blinders on. Like mm -hmm. you can't think about what every other person wants and you can't compare yourself to like what everybody else is doing. Like you kind of have to sit with yourself. And even though it might be super uncomfortable and you might not like what you hear or find within yourself, like sometimes you just have to go through those uncomfortable moments to get out to the light on the other side of it. Who's your person in that? Like, do you call, say you're kind of like, is this a newsletter? Is it a podcast? You're losing your mind. You see your friends taking off, doing great things. You have that nervous feeling. Do you call your dad? Do you call a therapist? Who, 
who sort of like keeps you on track? I would say I have like the most incredible friends in the world that are also really creative. And we've all gone on our own journeys of creating things and, you know, failing and falling a couple of times. And um, I have such a great group of friends that's so supportive of that and really, really there to watch the journey and, and be there in, a, in, a, in any and every way. So um, find your crew, guys. Definitely find your crew. Oof, okay, that was heavy, but I really liked that because that's definitely something I think we all struggle with a lot. So back to friend of a friend, we're building a community here. This is sort of like a community group you're trying to create. What do you want people like? I mean, back in the day, I looked at your place for the cool place to go, the cool girl to listen to, that sort of thing. What do you want out of your brand right now in your company? What do you want people to come to it for? And what do you want them to get out of it? I love this question. So I think when I look at friend of a friend from a zoomed out perspective, I want it to be a school. And I know that sounds really weird. It does. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Very supportive over here. Um, I, I want to like be the facilitator of, of people learning something new. Like I want every episode, someone for all my listeners to come on and be like, wow, I didn't know that, but now I do. Or maybe I feel inspired by that, or I feel seen by that, or I feel motivated by that. Um, I want to be the person that like facilitates those conversations and those feelings. And every person that comes on the show is a new teacher and there's like a new lesson being told. So, you know, it's a podcast, but it's also a community of people that are, are interested in what's going on in the world. And, um, and it's a really, really exciting time to be in the podcast space. So yes, I think it's a, I call it like adult school. That's where it's at right now. I love that. What's your big, big, big term vision for the brand? Is it like a TV show, a big life coach business like Teddy Mellencamp has? Like what sort of the big term brand? I don't know if I could be a life coach. I think I need one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would love to have a talk show. Like that's always been front of of mind for me, Um, especially as a young woman. There are not a lot of female-led talk shows out there right now. And especially not a lot of conversation a lot of talk shows that are talking to young, that are young people talking to other young people mm-hmm. I think a lot of those conversations are existing in silos on on social media and on TikTok and on YouTube but um they're not really hitting mainstream in a way that I would like to see or be seen something cool right like something like the view is fun for our moms to watch but we want something like young and sexy and cool I you know even when I look at the media landscape now I'm like what the first thing that comes to mind is like e-news and like I don't want to always I don't want it to always be gossip like what about all the other conversations that are being held okay what's the most interesting thing you learned from one of your podcast guests oh my gosh um <laughs> such a hard question because I cannot tell you how many incredible guests we've had on that have like shared really amazing things I'll throw out a few um we had Brandon Cohen on who's the founder of Liquid IV and he taught me all about how much water our our bodies actually take in and how dehydrated we actually are um, that was mind blowing to me. I love him because he's a big podcast sponsor. Yes, they are big supporters of the podcast community. I love them. Mm-hmm. It was also like I'm also the biggest supporter of brand and brands and companies that um, are giving back globally, and he does such an incredible job of that. So that episode was a big one. Wait, what is the water thing in our bodies? So apparently, we only like if we're drinking a. a oh my god, guys, don't quote me on this. I'm sorry. But I think when we drink a bottle of water, our body only takes in half of it and the rest is just, or like 20% of it. Some crazy stat under 50. But then what about water weight? That's what I blame everything on. Yeah. So like our body's not actually taking in as much water as we think we're drinking is basically basically what I didn't know. Got it. But, um, well, Liquid IV is wicked cool. Um, and yeah, I think you just feel like amazing. If you're hungover, if you're healthy, if you have a cold, like it's like the great thing. Even on a normal day, like. There are some days where I'm working and I forgot to drink water and I throw on a liquid IV and I, I feel way better. Um, 
Not mm-hmm. to say that it's a water replacement, but like it's something great if you're somebody that's always on the go and are not as conscious about drinking water as we should be. It's pricey, so it's more of a treat, but I just I just love it. I always feel amazing. So yeah, don't take it every day. Yeah, <laughs> but take it as much as you can. Um, Lauren Singer, who is known as Trashes for Tossers on Instagram, and she taught me a lot about sustainability. Um, she lives zero waste. And so learning about the way that she lives and ways that we can like literally turn our life around um, and be more eco-friendly was amazing. There, I'm telling you, like on the show, we have so I love the show because we have so many different um, people from different walks of life and different industries that it's like I'm always learning something new myself. Yeah. And the cool thing about Olivia's show is she really goes into finding how people like did their I, I interview like the it girl, like the Miss Olivia, the cool girls like that's more my interview show. Your show is very much digging into like how I, I compare it to how you built it. I think it's a cool version of how you built it. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's the comp I give it. Um, all right. Who is your dream guest, dead, alive, and why? <sighs> this question is so hard for me. People ask me it all the time. Oh, no. Like, who's the dream person that you probably want to interview? I'm loving Michelle Obama's podcast right now, and I love how open she's being on there and the conversations that she's facilitating, and I would love to be able to talk to her one day, but... I'll keep it to somebody that's alive so that I can manifest something hopeful. I want to uh, talk to her about, she said the other day that she wanted to throw like Barack out the window. Did you see that quote come off her thing? I was like, man, things must have got testy up in the White House. (laughs) A big reason why I started my show was like, I want to take people off a pedestal that people might think that they're on as entrepreneurs or founders or talent, whatever it is, and really just have honest conversations. And she's so good about that, which is why Mm -hmm. I think... She's such a relatable and empathetic person. Um, I feel like everybody thinks they probably know her personally. Um, but just, you know, talking to somebody that's really at the forefront of those conversations is, is something that is um, very And just being real, I think, is, is what you're saying, too. Um, okay, so you interview people from all different industries. You have actors, um, business, entrepreneurs, every, everything across the board. What industry do you enjoy interviewing people the most from? I'm going to answer this question in two parts because I think the, comp- the industry that I feel the most um, at comfort with talking to, and I probably not, like have the best conversations with is fashion because I know it so well. Mm-hmm. And I can speak from a personal experience. Whereas, you know, if I'm interviewing somebody like a Brandon, he's talking about CTT and how um, like the science of like ingesting water works. Um, I'm not as like, I'm not as no- like uh, knowledgeable in that world. So it's like a little bit more distanced. But I will say that like interviewing somebody that I have like no idea what it is that they do is always the most fun for me because I'm learning something new and it's a challenge for me to get out there and and figure it out and make it digestible for even my listeners to understand too. So um, I would say fashion for like the most comfortable, but like, you know, someone like in tech or um, someone building a startup is always really fun for me because um, it's such an interesting world and I'm excited to uh, break it down for people. Especially when it works too. Like entrepreneurs that like work every, you know, you are not, you and I are both in the entrepreneur business. It's like when it works, you're like, how, what's the code? What's the map? Show me how you did it. <laughs> right. Um, so a big part of your job is networking, meeting new people. This is always a big one because I feel like 90% of people are just terrible at networking and it sucks because you want to have that skill, but it's sort of like a difficult one. You're just, you just sort of have it or you don't. So can you give us like some of your best networking tips? You know, how is one to approach someone, maybe make an ask out of somebody without being too weird or invasive? It's just, it's such a delicate thing to do. I feel networking that is. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think people, you know, you can feel really shy when you're going to meet somebody um you can be afraid of what you're gonna say like there's so many come on too strong like there's there's 
there's so many ways about it you could go bad. I'm a big, per- like I'm a big slide into the DM person. Like I would say like probably 70% of our podcast guests have come on because I've slid into the DM and been like, hey, I'm a huge fan. I love what you have to say. And I'd love to share that with my listeners. I would say that like in any form of networking, whether you're trying to get a job, whether you want somebody's advice, the more specific you are, the better. So if you're asking somebody for something, don't just send like a copy pasted email that you've sent to like 20 other people. Like really say why you want whatever it is that you want and why you're going to that person for that for that specific ask. Um, that's always been really successful for me. Um, you know, I so many I've heard so many people say like, oh, when you slide into my DM being like, hey, can we meet for coffee? I'd like some advice. Like that's so vague. Like and it like me meeting you for coffee takes up probably two hours of my time. Whereas like, if you're more specific with me, like, Hey, can we jump on a zoom? A zoom? I want to talk about this, this, and this, and I would love your advice. That's more incentivizing for me to, um, know that I could act really help you in the best way. Exactly. I totally agree with all that and being specific and like showing that you're actually putting an effort in and do it. I mean, you're probably famous in LA. You've got a huge following. You've got lots of people that want to meet with you. It's probably hard to get through to you and connect with you, but you're just saying, be straightforward, tell me what you want and sort of work it from there. Yeah. I mean, but also like, I'm a really big proponent of like answering DMs. Like I hate people that like, you know, have like thousands of unread DMs. Obviously, if you're like super famous and you're getting inundated, obviously protect your peace. I'm a big advocate for that. But I'm like, I'm, you know, I like I, when people DM me, I always respond. I always want to be helpful. Like, what's the point of having a platform that's all based on connecting with people and communicating if you're not going to communicate back? I must ask what your experience was like back in March, right at the beginning of the pandemic. Were you terrified? What happened? Um, yeah, so I had a pretty similar experience to probably so many people. Um, I want to say first off that like everything I'm going to say right now practically means nothing because I'm healthy and my family's healthy and I'm very, very grateful for that. Um, but my boyfriend lives in LA and I was in LA visiting him and, um, shit very much hit the fan. (laughs) And I actually, you know, I had left New York in February, I think after, after fashion month had ended and I came here and I still haven't been back to New York since. So your, your apartment and everything is still here though? No, I actually, so I moved some stuff out. Just, I think a lot of people can maybe relate to what I'm saying, but like this time has just been all about, um, one, keeping myself safe and healthy and the people around me safe and healthy. But also there's been like a really big, um, simplifying of life for me that I think is, is super transformative and amazing. And I'm really grateful to be experiencing right now. So, um, let go of a lot of stuff move some things out. This is the first time I like have a lot of my stuff in one place. Mm -hmm. If you have followed me for a long time, no. Um, I traveled literally once a month, maybe twice a month for years. Um, So I'm going through like that phase of life right now. And it's really beautiful. And it's challenging and kind of uncomfortable, but I'm embracing it. And it's been great. Totally agree and connect with you on that. Um, During business, I was traveling like once a month for work and like planting your feet in the ground and not being able to leave. It's hard, but there's something really grounding about it. And you're in LA. So you have like the mountains, the ocean, like it's tough in New York right now. It's outdoor dining is killing it. You're missing out on that girl. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) I think uh, I've like done a lot of internal brain rewiring to (laughs) not constantly have FOMO of the outdoor dining. Oh man, we have FOMO of the outdoorsness of California. So you win there. (laughs) You know, I think everybody, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that hasn't gone through like a big change in their life right now. And this has been mine. And um, it's, it's good to 
it's good to switch things up a little bit and um, try new things. So my show covers financial news. I always love to learn about the money side of the business. And one thing I'm always curious with um, brand building in that, like at what point do you think somebody's say following or uh, downloads or what, what, what point do you think it's it you start to make money at like $500 a post type thing? I really appreciate you asking this question because I do think that there this industry is really challenging for a lot of reasons, but it's also really challenging because there is no pathway that we're following from the past. Um, there's no set of rules. Um, there's no like barometer of what the, uh, the barrier of entry even is. So I appreciate you like even just trying to get that out there for people that are aspiring to be podcasters or social media personalities, because it's a, it's a really tough, weird game. Um, I'm the biggest believer in community versus numbers. I hate that like we've become kind of a numbers culture of like, oh, you have a million followers. Good. I'll give you all of this. And like, you're officially successful and et cetera. Um, even though I think um, that's really amazing and being able to grow to that point and, and attract that many people and be able to talk to that many people is an incredible feat. And I have nothing but admiration and respect for that. Um, I don't think it needs to be like the barometer of what people are striving to do to be able to enter into the industry. So like, you know, when I say community versus numbers, it's like, I know so many accounts that have a thousand followers and their community loves them and is so engaged in what they're doing and is commenting and are having conversations and they're really making a big impact on their life. So I think if you can make a case for that, I think that's, I think that's the quickest way for you to, you know, start monetizing whatever your platform is. Um, but yeah, I would say, I think you said like a thousand followers. Like I think, um, I think that's a great place to start and really feel excited about the fact that you can build a community and keep growing from there. So don't get too tied into the numbers. Don't get too nailed into it. You know, have fun, enjoy it. Talk to the people in your community and like really create honest, relatable conversations in there and um, create a platform that means something. And I think Mm -hmm. you'll be able to um, really grow from there. I feel like that's where you sort of went at in that category. I really respect that out of your page. All right. So Cake for Breakfast is a news show. We cover the top news stories of the day. We have a bunch of stories trending that we're covering really closely right now. So I just love to get your take on some stuff that we've been talking about. Free Britney, where do you sit here? What are your thoughts? What are you thinking is going on in this situation right now? So I was such a Britney kid growing up. It was definitely my era. Um, In full transparency, I don't know the nitty gritty of the situation. But what I do know is that someone who's having a mental health crisis or an ongoing one is being taken advantage of. And that's something that is like devastating to see. And I think we as a society need to be a little bit more cognizant of and aware of and more empathetic towards and like try and help and be supportive in any way that we can. The last news I saw of it was that her younger sister was trying to take control and help her out. So I would love seeing that. But yeah, I think... It's been it's been so uh, nice to see the amount of people that have come out and support like on Twitter and on social media to support her and try and get her on the right path. Um, But I just urge everybody to have like the utmost empathy and and try to help out. Her and her lawyer today are trying to get the court documents unsealed to show the public. So that's sort of like a whoa. She wants something out there that they're keeping sealed up. Um, I'd love to ask you this question. So with retail, you see out here the JCPenney's are going under the Neiman Marcuses and all that. What do you think of that right now? And how are these businesses going to pivot? And do you think they're going to stay alive even if they do move quickly to digital? Oh, what a devastating question. Um, 
You know, it's really hard for me to imagine going into a department store in the near future. Um, I, and I think I, I don't think I'm alone in that sentiment. Um, there is an amazing, I listen to the daily, which is the New York times podcast. Um, and they did an amazing episode about two weeks ago, which was, um, a voiceover of a story that ran in the times. Um, I think it was called sweatpants forever. Um, and it basically was talking about the state of fashion and how, mm-hmm. you know, the big retailers are crashing, but these really small boutique experiential stores are thriving. So like Emily Adams Bodie, who owns, who started Bodie, which is an amazing fashion line. She has a store in the Lower East Side and that's thriving. And it saved, she says it saved her business in the story. Um, so I think even if they pivot, I don't know if they would 100% survive, not because they're not worthy of surviving, but because our world and our reality has dramatically shifted in the way that um, people are shopping. So we covered that New York Times sweatpants story. That was a great piece just and it was so real to like what is exactly going on right now. So I think, you know, and I think that's something that like needs to be talked about. It's not that like J. Crew. Do you say J.C. Penny or J. Crew? They're all a J.C. Penny, J. Crew, like everybody, you know, like they had Lord. You lived in New York, Lord and Taylor on 40th or whatever. Like it's now an Amazon fulfillment center. Can you imagine a world? Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, that beautiful building. Beautiful building. It's in uh, it's in Rockefeller Center. It's amazing. Um, even if like you know these stores are worthy of staying open and they, they you know they make amazing clothing, but it's just the fact that our realities have shifted. People can't spend money. People don't want to go out and shop. People would rather have it delivered safely to their door. Um, and I think that's something that you know we need to think about and need to take into account as. Um, we look at retail moving forward. Exactly. I'm hoping hoping Shopify. Shopify is the best. Yeah. Right now, it's not about scaling and having thousands and thousands of stores. It's about having one really good one. Cancel culture. Are you of the moment of let's put this away for a minute, guys? I am the biggest anti-culture, cult, cancel culture person. Um, I, I just, I'm a really big believer in, in people evolving. And I think if there's something that I've really learned in the past couple months, it's okay to change your mind. And it's okay to learn something new. And it's okay to grow and evolve and change and learn from mistakes and acknowledge those mistakes and not have to be defensive about it or anything like that. So for me, cancel culture just doesn't give people the opportunity to do that. And, you know, if you've done something really, really bad, okay. We'll get rid of you. Well, I'm not going to even try to defend that. But I think, you know, for um, for mistakes that are mistakes, everyone deserves, you know, everyone needs to be held accountable. But we as a society can't just throw people away for making one mistake. I think everybody's made a mistake in their life. And um, we need to kind of have a little bit more empathy to allow people to grow and change because how are we going to, like, our society is not perfect. And I think those people, I, I, I want to give people a chance to learn and grow and, and make it up to us. Accountability culture, right? That's what we want to move towards. That's what it should be about. It should be about, you know, calling people out for the things that they've done wrong mm-hmm. and, letting, and giving them the chance to apologize for it and see how they're going to change. But to just be like, nope, you're done, I think is, um, is a really scary shift that I, I'm, I don't love seeing. And your mission right now um, is to get people out to vote. You have resources on your page, right? You've built something to help pe- direct people there? 
Um, yeah, I have a I have a link tree on my Instagram bio right now. You can visit. Um, it's just kind of like my overall link tree. Like we have links to listen to the podcast on any platform. Um, there's a link to our website. Um, there's a link to register to vote. And there's also a link if you are willing and you feel safe enough to be a poll worker for November 3rd. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really passionate about getting people out there to vote. I know that my audience is a lot of young people and probably a lot of people that are first time voters. And um, I'm not here to convince you of a side. Um, I have a side. Um, I'm voting for Biden and Kamala Harris. Um, but I'm not here to convince you of a side. I'm here to get you out there to vote because I think you know, there was a crazy stat that came out that 40% of non-voters are millennials. And we are the ones that are the people that are going to make a really big difference out there this year. So I'm, I'm really, really, um, I'm really passionate about getting people out to vote this year. I think what is, what's really most inspiring to me about, um, I'm not even going to say my generation, but the generation below me is like, there's such a will and there's such a power and such a moral mm-hmm. compass um, that I'm really excited to see. And I hope I see it on November 3rd. I'm praying. Um, I am telling people to really like have their voting plan ready to go, like vote early, vote by mail, get out there and get it done because November 3rd is going to come and we have no idea what we could expect. So, um, having a voting plan is really important and there are resources on my Instagram. Thank you so much, Olivia. Thank you so much for the interview today. I really love meeting you. I really loved having you on and I look forward to following along on your podcasting journey. You're like mentor. I'm, I'm watching you. I'm learning through you. So I appreciate having that resource in front of me like that. Of course. Thank you so much for asking me to come on. I really appreciate it. Wow. What a great interview. I so enjoyed interviewing Olivia. I think that she's so smart and, you know, she's a cool girl and she's a brand builder, a business builder, an entrepreneur. She's just, she's doing it all. Most importantly, how do you find Olivia? You can find her on Instagram at Liv Perez, L-I-V-V-P-E-R-E-Z. And that is on Instagram. You can also find her podcast, which is at friend of a friend, F-R-I-E-N-D-O-F-A-F-R-I-E-N-D. You can also find her on Apple and Spotify by searching friend of a friend. And thanks again to today's sponsor, MillenniLink. You can find more information about your hiring needs online at www.millenniLink.com slash contact dash us. Thanks so much. And we look forward to seeing everybody tomorrow.